podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome along to Steve Bloomer's Washing the Derby County podcast. I'm your host, Chris Parsons, and uh, it's been a fortnight of mixed fortunes for Warns Rams, which nonetheless sees them hanging in there in that top six race. Automatic promotion from League One has probably faded quite badly after those damaging defeats to teams around us in recent weeks, but Derby's points total is still steadily ticking over uh, so we can keep on dreaming of a Wembley day out for now at least. Uh, speaking of days out, fresh from a trip to the Kassam in Oxford, behind enemy lines, no less, more on that shortly, is Richard Kutcher. How you doing, man? Hello there. Yes, very good. Survived. Made it back safely. <laughs> Made out in one piece. And also here, after nailing down a SBW first team spot, is... Sleeper train aficionado, Blake Fallows. How are you, mate? Don't talk to me about sleeper trains. Yeah, I'm not too bad. How are you, lads? We're good. We're good. Have you uh, recovered from your 24-hour 20, 20, overnight odyssey in the Plymouth yet? For anyone who's not aware of it, why do you explain your actions during that period? Yeah, I had the, um, being like the content creator that I am, tried to get a few likes out of going to Plymouth. So booked on the sleeper train after the game thinking, here we go take a few pictures it'll look good on social media uh got to plymouth station about midnight for the uh 0034 sleeper train to london for it to be cancelled so um four and a half hours on plymouth station in the rain after derby lost there is a there's a particular part of the video that you posted where there's like a guy that you're filming who just looks like he's his his like soul is slowly leaving his body at that point in the night, he, lo- he looks an absolutely broken man. And you were probably quite similar, I imagine, at the middle of the night in Plymouth. Yeah, there's there's certain parts of uh, following football teams where you occasionally question what on earth you're doing. And when I look back in uh, 10, 15 years time, I think Plymouth away, when I slept on platform form of Plymouth Station, will be one of those moments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, you probably would have, wouldn't have felt as bad about it if we hadn't lost to a dive in the second half but if we'd have won then you probably see it as like a a, a jaunty anecdote to tell the grandkids but like yeah it must have been pretty brutal and coach you had a uh, you had a lovely old time at the weekend didn't you you two you the two of you you Blake and you coach with Tom were both at Oxford um at the weekend about 30 yards away from each other but one of you was in the home end and uh Two of you in the home end and one of you is in the away end. What on earth was happening there, Kutch? Yeah, top, Blake and I were actually on the same row. We were basically three seats apart from each other, but kind of 30 yards, as you say, apart from each other. Uh, so Tom and I completely dropped the ball on 
away tickets for Oxford. We could easily have got them uh, with the membership we have. We just basically missed the deadline and it had sold out before we'd realised they were on sale, which was really poor and definitely uncharacteristic of Tom. I'm normally pretty lazy about this stuff, but Tom is normally pretty organised. So we we obviously tried to get hold of some tickets in the week, but failed. Uh, but uh, Tom's got some family in Oxford. So we went for a day out in Oxford and then we uh, walked to the ground, hung around outside the away, away end for a bit, seeing if anyone was could sell some last minute tickets. And then just thought we'll get some tickets in the home end, um, but in the same stand as the away end. So we got some tickets in the home end. We went just just grabbed some empty seats, which are right up against the um, divider between the two sets of fans um, and sat in there. And then, and then about 30 minutes into the game, I looked across to my right and some guys were swearing at us, obviously thinking we're Oxford fans. And then I noticed one of them was Blake. <laughs> <laughs> and Blake noticed me. <laughs> can I can I just say on that, if anyone's seen the video on social media of me zooming in, that is in no way choreographed. I was, I was genuinely doing some barrel-shaped <laughs> gestures towards the Oxford fans. And I thought, <laughs> that bloke in the flat cap looks just like Richard Kutcher. <laughs> about 10 seconds later, I, I realised the man I was doing this gesture towards was Kutch. <laughs> so Kutch, when, like, the thing is, when you're, um, when, like, Oxford went 1-0 up, like, what normally happens is, like, the fans, the home fans, by the segregation, nearly away fans, are usually 90% of the time the ones who, like, give it large to the away fans. So were you, like having to stand up and like give it the big one to your own fans like when Oxford scored like what what happened or was it a you know was it just like a polite sort of stand up and clap and try and blend in sort of situation yeah Tom and I kind of said to each other that we wouldn't we wouldn't be obviously Derby fans we didn't know how people around us would react or what part of the ground that was it was it was a pretty fairly chilled part of the ground but there was probably like 10 or 20 nutters well I say nutters just you know 10 or 20 passionate Oxford fans I guess um and when the when the Oxford goal did go in, Tom and I, you know, we kind of stood up, but stood up slowly, reluctantly. I didn't clap or anything, but didn't want to look completely out of place. But there was um, <laughs> there was a couple of other Derby fans below us, um, about five or six rows below us. It was a group of three fans, a, a middle aged woman and two middle aged blokes, from what I could tell. And when Derby equalised, the woman stood up and clapped, like she didn't go mental or rub it in anyone's faces, but she was quite obviously cheering the Derby goal and loads of Oxford fans gave her absolute dog's abuse, like really, really horrible uh, abuse, even though the two guys of her didn't even stand up and they were like shouting for her to get kicked out and all this stuff. And about 15 minutes later, you know, people calling her some pretty nasty, uh, nasty stuff. And about 15 minutes later, the stewards did, did remove them. Um, and then we didn't notice any other Derby County fans around us all game. But Tom and I were kind of talking. If you if you were listening, if you're sat in front of us or behind us, you've probably heard us talking, mostly talking about Derby. But the guy next to me was completely silent all match. And then when the final whistle, every time we scored, I kind of like grabbed Tom's leg <laughs> in celebration. <laughs> but um, but the guy next to me, when the final whistle went, he kind of gave me a big. I hadn't said a single word to me. I hadn't, had a, hadn't said a single word all game. He gave me a big slap on the back and he, gave, and he winked at me and he was a Derby County fan as well. And I think there was like Amazing. two next to him. So I think there was actually quite a few, probably about 20 Derby fans because that full time, some of them were like clapping the Derby team off and, and stuff. So I think there's actually quite a few, uh, yeah, behind enemy lines, Derby County fans sat around us. I'm just imagining the uh, the meme of like Jamie Carragher and Thierry Henry on Sky with like the thigh the thigh grab. Remember that one? <laughs> like that, That's in my head what happens when... Uh, when Derby scored but it's like 
I was like, that is my nightmare situation, what happened to that woman. Like, I've only ever been a Derby away fan in the home end, like once in my whole life. Um, it's a pop quiz for you both. It was in January 08. Yeah, in that season. Uh, Bolton away. Um, so cause a friend of mine from university is a Bolton fan. So we both, we got tickets, had to, had to go in the home end. Uh, firstly, can either of you remember the result of that match? Obviously we lost, but... Can you remember what the score was? No. I can remember Michael Johnson hitting the bar from about 45 yards, but I can't remember the result. He did, yeah. So, like, it was a night game. Uh, Michael Johnson hit the bar. Um, and at that point, I just, I couldn't help. I sat on my hands. I just went like, oh, I just, like, let out a little noise. And, like, that's when people around me cottoned on. So, I, I blew, I'd blown my cover before the end of the game. And then, obviously, 90th minute, Bolton hoof it forward. There's like a mistake at the back somehow. And Stelios Janakopoulos like rolled it in for like an injury time Bolton oh, yeah. 1-0 winner. Um, so I was having to stand up and pretend to clap. And there's like a couple of people around me who like, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't in any trouble or anything, but they sort of gave, they gave me what I deserved, to be honest. And it was a particularly low moment, even in that season. It was grim. And for that reason, like, I've just never been able to bring myself to do it. I just can't, I, I don't know. I, I just don't think I'll be able to control myself. So fair play to you for limiting yourselves to only a, a little a little grasp of Tom Martin's meaty thighs. <laughs> well, to, to, well, to be fair, Oxford was quite a docile place. You know, it was quite, it was, there's probably some grounds I wouldn't want to do, obviously wouldn't want to do it at a Forest game. And there's probably a few other games I wouldn't want to do it at. Um, I'll just say the, the one only other time I've done it, which I think I've mentioned on the pod before, was my first ever derby game. I was at Stamford Bridge. It was January 1997 when we lost 3-1. Aldrosa scored a free kick. And all of my mum's side of the family are Chelsea fans. And I was sat there as a 10-year-old, 8, 9-year-old uh, in Derby hat, Derby scarf, Derby shirt, um, surrounded by, obviously, Chelsea fans. And we went one up, but I did cheer that goal. And um, I got a lot of abuse in the second half as Chelsea put three past us. Um, and I went home crying that day. So it's the first time I've done it since that. So it's a much better outcome uh, this time at the Kazam. Great. They've abused a child, Richard Kutcher. How proud are they of themselves yes. after that day? <laughs> <laughs> big, big boys. Well done to you. Uh, well, look, Blake, Oxford 2, Derby 3. Tremendous results. Uh, a sixth league away win of the season to maintain that seven point buffer to seventh place Wickham. Um, yeah, we talked about you two being a part in the home and the, in the home and the away end, but look, did it seem like a deserved three points for you, Blake? It's great to get back to winning ways, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Totally deserved. I think, um, I think they set up and I think Warren's alluded to it in some of his comments post-match. I think it was a case of just go there and get the result. Um, I think if you look at the two away games, we'll obviously come on to Plymouth a, a bit later, but it was probably the the worst of the two performances. Um, I think we made a, a, a pretty poor Oxford side look better than they were at times, but I think it was a case of clipping the ball down the channels, playing those percentage balls, being a bit more... I think one of Warren's comments was it was one of the most League One games you'll ever see, and I and I totally agree with him. It was it was it was very scrappy. Yeah. The pitch it wasn't conducive to to putting your foot on the ball in the midfield and and gaining that control with the the extra quality we have in midfield. So it, it really was a case of just get do anything to get the result. And I think that the changes um, the manager made 
really really allude to that that it was a case of going there and, and getting a result against a team that needed the result as much as we did and and with results at Burton with Burton beating Wickham uh, big up to Burton for that because they don't do as many favours but yeah it's a very very important three points with with the other results as well a few uh, five word reviews on it from uh, Steve Bloomers washing followers and listeners on social uh, listen Jimmy Gregory on our Facebook who cares how we win uh, Andy Elliott one of our patrons he said business end I'll take out uh, Pat Carlin he said Plymouth Wembley payback time enjoyed that one and a few from Twitter uh, what have we got here so Jacob Stevenson said in one we should trust uh, Sam Robertson said worst performance ever three points um, Chris, uh, Chris Oz in Poland said nearly good enough work required. Uh, a couple more here. Daniel Warwick, one of our patrons said a different way to win. Um, and a final one from our Instagram, which is from, uh, our most recent, uh, one of our most recent, uh, new patrons on SPW. That's from Chris Hill on our Instagram page. And he said, Sibley passes the university challenge. Um, Coach, what was your take on it from the the edge of the home end? Um, Bit of an odd game, wasn't it? As that old Achilles heel of ours set pieces. And I looked looked at that first goal that Oxford scored again, and it just seems a bit of a ridiculous goal to concede, really, wasn't it? Just a basic ball that Fodder gets beaten to. But we did recover pretty quickly. So all credit to, uh, to the team for that. Yeah, it was a pr- pretty simple set piece, but it was a good a good ball hung up properly to that that far post, which the keeper's never going to get get across to to claim. And 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 to, to be fair to Long, the, the the Oxford player, he get he starts on the edge of the eighteen yard box and just gets a much better run and just times it perfectly, you know. And and so Fozzie's kind of stuck underneath it. So I don't know if that's a positioning thing or just purely physics that, you know, he's got the run on him and it was all, all time perfectly, whether by design or by luck, and, and he gets it on. And, and Wildsmith almost got across and kept it out and then he smashed into the post and, and struggled a little bit uh, as a result of that. But I thought, you know, as Blake said, it was a game of very little quality and I thought Louis Sibley and, and, and Wildsmith were probably a difference. Wildsmith played, made three, three, I think, excellent saves, um, really, really good saves. Um and and Louis Sibley obviously showed a bit of quality. I thought Corey Smith, apart from the Sibley goals, I thought Corey Smith was our best player. For he showed how good he can be as a central midfielder. You know, it'd be lovely to see him see him there more. But we've got you know we're kind of blessed with it when everyone's fit with lots of midfield options. So um, it was it was a good game in terms of character because it was low on quality. But they're the games you've got to grind out. I thought Curtis Davis grew into the match really well. I thought he started a bit shaky, but generally from set pieces defensively he looked good. Uh, and won, won his fair share. And Jake Rooney, he kind of struggled first half, but what a ball that was he put in for the for the third goal. I mean, I know but we had a pretty good view of it from this side, but if you were further along the away end, um, the view of that cross, because it was he won that he won that second ball first of all, surged forward a couple of touches and just put it in early. And it was just, you know, whether it was Collins or the defender, it it was it was begging to be put in. So um yeah, I thought it was a good I thought it was a Good game in the circumstances, considering the run we've been on, and sets us up nicely for um, going back to kind of a game every Saturday for the next three or four weeks, which I think will suit this squad better. Blake, it was uh, another Louis Sibley cameo, which helps seal the points. I mean, he doesn't score that many, 
probably not enough, some would say, given his clear talent on his left foot, although he has obviously played most of his games this season at left back. But when he does score, they're usually goals that matter uh, over his derby career. And he is a player who just can produce a bit of magic at, at any moment. I mean, his first one, great little instinctive finish from... I think it's at Harahan who, who fizzes it in. Not really the kind of goal that Sibley usually scores, like darting in at the front post. You think of a Louis Sibley goal, and it's usually from areas in or just around the edge of the 18-yard box. And yeah, the second goal, real quality there, like a pretty god-awful bit of build-up. But when the ball does drop to him, to, to take that touch, shift it onto his right, and then pick out the top corner with his weaker foot. Absolutely brilliant finish. Um, it's just, I mean, we've talked about it quite a few times on this pod before you've been on yourself. Like what, what's the, what, how do you work it out with Sibley? Like it's just a enigma as far as we're concerned. Like, is he underused? How can we, how, did he not fit one system? Like how do we get him into the team around Halrahan and Knight and Bird and others. I mean, no, no matter what he does, like what, is he always destined to just be a super sub, do you think? Like a sort of bit of an impact player? I think now the, the onus is on Sibling himself because he's been given that opportunity with Knight not being in the side. And the one thing that Sibley gives us that Knight maybe doesn't, and the one thing that Sibley has got on Knight is that ability to go and score goals. I think those two chances with Knight on the pitch maybe. Uh, maybe being a bit harsh on Knight, but he's he's not necessarily done that when he's when he's played in the field. It's not part of his game. So Sibley's been given a chance to go back in there, taking the ball by its horns to, to pardon the cliche, but he's gone there and he scored two important goals that maybe if he wasn't on the pitch, we don't we don't score those two goals. So he's been a for me personally, he's been a very frustrating player because I, I let him off a, a little bit when he was first in the side, particularly in the championship. He's a, he's a young lad that's come in and when you come into a side at that age, you're going to have good days, bad weeks, and you you kind of have to write him off and, and say, look, it's part of his development. But in League One now, he's got a, he's got quite a few games behind him. And with his quality that he has shown at times, he should be doing that in League One. He should be taking games by the scruff of the neck and bursting into the box and, and scoring goals. And it's really down to, for me, it's down to, to Sibley now. He's, he's got that chance and... <laughs> It, you, you'd probably say it's his shirt to lose. Um, I mean, I'm not making the decisions, but you, you go on, you have a performance like that to come straight into the team, to score two goals and to effectively win the match for you away from home in a game that lacked quality. He produced two moments of, of brilliant quality. So the onus is on on him now. He's, he's old enough. He's got enough experience. He's played enough games. It's just the consistency and maybe not attitude, but it just cutting out the the silly yellow cards and and the, the the little bits of petulance and stuff like that. Just get your head on the game, go and play like you did at Oxford every week. And I think it's his shirt to lose. It'll be interesting to see what Paul Warren does on Saturday against Fleetwood because, from what it sounds like, Jason Knight could be available for that game. Yeah, Matt Bird is back. So and Corey Smith has played a couple of games in midfield with Jake Rooney doing okay at right back. So suddenly you've you, that midfield three, if you call it a three with the two sitting in the number 10, there's a lot of options and different ways you could play that. I mean, I would have Jason Knight in the team every, every day of the week, as we've said in the pod many, many times before, but 
can you drop Louis Sibley after he, he's the match winner, basically, um, with two good goals? And he does provide that goal threat, which Knight doesn't. You could play Knight deeper, but then you're not going to play Bird or Harahan or, well, two out of Bird, Harahan and Smith aren't going to play. So you, you could, they don't all fit in. You could play Sibley from the left, but again, you're then moving him around and that's probably not the best for him. And I think he's more ineffective when he plays on the wing. Um I think he might end up playing again at left back at some point in the season because he's proved he can do a job there. And and we're kind of, you know, if Forzy ends up back at centre back again, then it's, you know, Sibley or, or Roberts. So I think Sibley probably gets the game on Saturday, I imagine, but he probably has to deliver another, another really impressive performance to keep the number 10 shirt. And then he's going to have to build the other players around him. Maybe Jason Knight doesn't need to be rushed straight back in because he's coming back from a knock. Uh, and that kind of gives Warren a bit of a luxury to kind of buy this time with him. But I think it'll be harsh to drop Sibley. I think he probably needs to be given that Saturday game against Fleetwood to to stake his claim again. Because he's got, but I think he's going to have to keep earning it, you know, to, to stay in the team. Depending on on who comes back into the side on Saturday with injuries, could you put Sibley in the ten? If if there's no McGoldrick, could you play Collins up there? bring Knight or Bird into midfield and, and push Sibley into that 10 role because it, it's a bit less pressure on him defensively, not being in the midfield. You've got less responsibility to a certain degree and it plays to his strengths of, of getting into the positions that he did do on Saturday and he, he's another goal threat, which with, if it is Collins up front, I mean, he's got his goal on Saturday and, and improved throughout the game, but he hasn't been scoring. So if you've got Louis Sibley behind him in that 10 role, maybe that's a, an option for him if he's, he's impressed the manager. Yeah, I can see that, but I guess it's just, I guess it's just that Sibley offers like nothing in the air, you know, whereas like Didzy, obviously you can swing in crosses for him, like him and Collins, if they're both on the pitch at the same time. So yeah, I don't know. What do you think to that, Kutch? I think, I think, I think he should play 10 on Saturday. And then it's a choice between, you know, who you play in, that, in the other two, Bird, Harahan, between Bird, Harahan and Knight. I mean, I think we probably, he probably wants to get back to having Bird and Harahan in there. Um, and, but then what you do with Jason Knight. So it's, there's, there's just, there is good options, which is a good problem to have. And I think Sibley's done enough on Saturday to play again this coming weekend. It's just whether or not he can take, I think he has to keep taking the chances because Jason Knight has to get in that team one way or the other. Uh, I don't think Bird or Harahan's going to be, bench anytime soon if they're both fit so yeah it's a tough one but he, he probably earns a chance against Fleetwood yeah I think part of the issue is that maybe Sibley hasn't quite ever done it in like a big game against like one of the bigger sides um I don't know maybe that's a bit unfair on him because we haven't really done that as a team either but I just want to pick up on something which um which a follower of ours tweeted uh, I think it's Ian Redfern that flagged this that beyond um uh, beyond the game recently, Derby just don't seem to be able to do it against the teams in the top half of League One this season. We've played 17 games against teams currently in the top half and we've only won four of them, all of them at Pride Park against Barnsley, Bolton, Wickham and Peterborough. And three of those were under Rossinia. So Warren has only beaten one team in the top half, effectively. Um so I don't know, maybe you just have to go with that bit of experience to try and stack the odds in your favour. And that maybe that's what we'll need if we do happen to be in the playoffs later, um, which it looks like we will be, Blake, because uh, as we talked to talked about earlier, your trip to Plymouth, uh, an absolutely devastating 2-1 defeat. Um, I don't want to repeat some of the... Uh, some of the words I screamed at the TV when that penalty got awarded um, for Plymouth's 
uh, Plymouth dive. Let's, let's call it for what it is. Um, and it's hugely disappointing to to lose in that way. I I don't know. I had a bit of an unpopular opinion on that game, clearly, because I thought on the balance, we maybe could have and should have got something. Like I thought we definitely had a better in the first half on a balance of play. Yeah, we faded badly in the second half. Um, and I guess, you know, Warren was obviously on the side of thinking we didn't do anywhere near enough because I think he gave all the players a an absolute roasting on full time. Um, I don't know. Do you think, Blake, we were as, as, as bad as the game suggested or was it one of those that just sort of swung on a, on a couple of key decisions? It's really hard to say. I think first half, I think your assessment's spot on. I think we went there, set up perfectly got the goal and then were in the ascendancy following the goal. And I, I said to to my dad and, and the people that we travel with uh, sat around me, this is the time where you need to go and get the second when you're one up and you're, you're creating chances and you're, you, you're having the better of the play. I thought Plymouth in the first half, they didn't look like a team that were second in the league and had done so well, uh, done so well all season. Genuinely thought that, they, they struggled to lay a glove on his first half and going into half time one the up, I was very confident that we were going to get a result of some description. I really was. And it's frustrating. And the biggest frustration to take away from it was that we came out in the second half and looked a completely different side. It looked to me almost as if 11 different players had come out uh, to, uh, it sounds a, like a bit of an exaggeration, but it, it it was so night and day, the the two performances in the first half and the second half. And the first goal is maybe slightly soft to concede. And then obviously the second goal is is a travesty. It's a decision we would never get. Um, and looking back at it, and I had plenty of time on platform four of uh, Plymouth Station to be watching replays. It's the, the referee can't wait to blow his whistle. I mean, the, the lad's not even hit the ground. He's got a penalty. So... Um, and reading the the refer the Warren's comments about the referee, sorry, saying he apologised when he's on the pitch, which is something I'll never ever be able to get my head around. If you can apologise to a player while you're on the pitch, you shouldn't be given a decision. But yeah, I can see maybe why Warren had something to say to the players at half time because I think they put themselves in a good position to to go on and get a result, and maybe have to look at themselves to a certain degree to why they didn't go on from that, to, to go there, to go on the lot, to play well and to, and to come out and do it. And maybe we look at, has he waited a little bit too long again to make changes? Plymouth made a couple at half-time, then made another couple and we waited a very long time to change things again. At the time, I thought, is that something we're going to look back on and regret? Because they've changed things, we're struggling, we haven't changed things again. So yeah, for me, to, to sum it up would be, Night and day, first half, we looked like we were challenging them and we looked marginally the better side and could have gone in 2-0 up in, in second half. We brought on our own downfall, I think. I think my mood after the game, so I was watching it at home on Sky because uh, I'm not as, as as mental as you, Blake. Um, my, <laughs> uh, I don't think my mood was helped by having to listen to the absolute guff that Danny Cowley came out with. Uh, not only refusing to commit to whether it's a penalty or not, but actually saying you've got to congratulate the ref for his great positioning in awarding that penalty and his assertiveness in making the decision. Like I almost put my foot through the telly at that point. Absolutely ridiculous stuff to come out with. But look, we've stewed on that one long enough. Uh, so let's move on swiftly. More in a second. 
But uh, as we said there, we are on Patreon this season, which I know I mention every episode, but we're hoping, fingers crossed, to have a very, very special one-off announcement about our exclusive March bonus podcast this month, which is coming this week over on our Discord. Our patrons are going to find out first what's that, what that's going to be, and then we'll reveal it later on, about a week or so later. So um, we've got a cracking one lined up. If uh, if it all comes together for us, hopefully it will. So if you can't resist that, then uh, make sure you sign up over at patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomers Washing. forward. Plays it up into the edge of the box. Even there, a quick turn there by Carbonari. Morphy makes the grab. Carbonari! Horacio from Rosario has surely settled it. What a piece of Argentine dexterity. Edge of the box, holds off three players. Left, then to the right. Rolls it just in front of himself just as it seemed to be gone, and he shot bullet hard to the bottom left-hand corner of Crosley's net. 85 minutes gone. Derby County 1, Nottingham Forest nil. Hi there, we County fans. I'm Branko Struper. Hi, I'm Paolo Wanchop. Hi, I'm Mart Poob. And you are listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. It's, uh, it's been a few weeks chap since we uh, we last saluted King Didzy. Uh, obviously didn't mention him off the back of uh, Oxford because he uh, he wasn't playing, wasn't in the squad with a uh, hip injury, I think Warren said. Um, but yeah, wow. I mean, the experience, the quality he's showing, just the superb football, gra- football brain uh, of David McGoldrick. 19 for the season now, including 16 goals in the league from just 20 starts and nine sub appearances, seriously impressive numbers. Um, and it's been an absolute joy to watch for Derby fans this season. Uh, took his most recent goal against Shrewsbury really well, I thought, like that really clever touch, like away from the defender to like buy himself some space and time before he smashed it low beyond the keeper. And then, you know, that was like the finish of a striker in red hot form. And he's obviously been a shoe in for player of the month in February. And his last... <laughs> Goal involvement at Plymouth, just a casual overhead kick on the halfway line to uh, to tee up Mendes Lang for the opening goal at uh, at Home Park. Kutch, it's uh, it's Didzy's world, and we're just living in it, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely ridiculous numbers uh, considering his age and his performances. I've got the top scorers in League One in front of me, and he's now number two, sixteen goals, five assists in in League One. Um, you know, it's only um, Clark Harris at Peterborough who's ahead of him with nineteen goals and and four assists. And it's just, um, oh, he's playing, he's just, he's just, we've said it before, he's just uh, head and shoulders above, you know, in terms of kind of understanding the game, reading the game, seeing things that other people don't see, both the opposition and at times his own teammates as well. And he just gives Derby such a different dimension when he's on the pitch. We, you kind of, when he's not on the pitch, you really notice it. Um, you know, Collins has has his attributes. They're, they're quite different from McGoldrick's and, McGoldrick just always gives you a chance that he can kind of make something from nothing. He can make something from a garbage ball up to him, whether it's to his feet or his chest or over the top. But he can he can kind of pressure people and make people nervous. And and I think when he's got the ball up top, 
other players they know and they can trust that if they kind of bust the gut to get up there and beyond him, he's going to be able to find them or use the space that they create. So we're absolutely blessed to have him. And I think, you know, the number one priority between now and the end of the season is getting him on the pitch as much as possible while protecting him as much as possible. You know, if there's any doubt, if there's any niggles, you just don't play him, you bench him or you rest him and make sure he's ready for the next game. Because if we're going to have a chance of getting promoted this season, we're absolutely going to have to need him in, in the playoffs. Blake, has he surprised you with how good he's been? Did you expect him to be like banging him in from all over the place and in the manner that he has done this season in League One? Uh, honestly, I can't sit here and say, oh yeah, I, I knew he was going to be like this. It, uh, it was a hard one for me to predict, but I did talk to um, a friend of mine who, who was part of the Sheffield United squad that got relegated from the Premier League who said he was still one of the best players on the training ground then. And that's uh, 34 years old or 33 or whatever um, in the Premier League. And um, someone else said to me in, in the game, said, if you ever get bored or there's a, ever a quiet moment in the match, just spend five minutes watching David McGoldrick. And at the start of the season, I, I really started to, to do that. And when you just watch watch him, sometimes he has quiet patches in games and, and then he'll sprinkle up and do something brilliant. But if you just watch him, even when he seems like he's quiet, it's a lesson in football. I mean, if anyone's listening to this who takes a, a youngster to football who, who wants to learn about being a striker or, or how to get space or how to be clever, just tell them to watch David McGoldrick because off the ball, as much as on the ball with his excellence, he is a sight to behold. He's so clever. And I remember watching a, a Sky programme at the start of the season. And ironically, it was uh, Danny Carley, who I used to like and respect before Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and he and he said, um, it's just not fair that Derby County have got David McGoldrick. And um, Liam Rossini, if, if anything happens this year, um, we need to remember that somehow Liam Rossini convinced Didzi that to come to Derby County. And that, he deserves a he deserves a lot of plaudits for that because, wow, he's, he's, I say this a lot, but it, it really isn't fair that that we're allowed to have him in this league. That, that's how good I think he is. And just to dig into those statistics a bit more, Chris, that I've got in front of me from the goal scorers in League One, he's got by far the best goals per ninety um, rating as well. Zero point seven five goals per ninety minutes. Um, the highest below that I can see is zero point sixty goals per minute. Zero point six. I think is the highest in, in the time of top 10, 15 scorers. Um, so yeah, he's just, he's prolific in, in, in terms of the minutes he's played, he's by far in the best, uh, the best goal scorer in the division. I'm, uh, I'm just going to put it out there and remind people that I did say, I think it might've been a Patreon episode or anyway, in our like end of year, calendar year episode at the end of December, that when Didzy was on about 10 goals and two hat-tricks, my outlandish prediction for the second half of the season was that Didzy would end the season on 24 league goals and four hat-tricks and all I'm saying is it could still happen could still happen like 10 games to go eight goals to go and we're still going to play about three or four pretty terrible sides at home so look don't write that prediction off just yet but Blake you said it is unfair that we have him and all credit to Rossini for getting him in the first place like one of our patrons, uh, Kurt Lewin, he just sort of ha- happened to mention in passing, oh, is uh, Dave McGoldrick just on a one-year contract? And I had sort of forgotten that he is, I guess, due to his age. Um, <laughs> what do we do? What do we do next season? I know that it hugely depends on what league Derby are in um, as to how that conversation goes. But I did put it out on our Twitter Um 
you know, I just sort of said, look, I don't want to alarm anyone, but what do we do this summer when David McGoldrick's contract runs out? Uh, Ryan Conway said, uh, we renew it regardless of division. Um, ben Wright said, if we're in League One going into the summer, uh, our player retention issues will be much greater than just him. Um, Peter gave an interesting point on Twitter. He said, not an easy decision for me. He's doing the business in League One, but he hardly set the championship on fire last season. Two goals and nine the season before. He'll be 36 later this year. I definitely want him for another League One campaign, but a championship campaign at 36, question mark. Um, Then a couple more comments on this one. Uh, Vikramjit Singh Kalsa said, give him an extra year and he'll probably retire after that with us. He's been an incredible player for us this season and with him settling in nicely and Derby is pretty local to him, I don't think he would move anywhere. And uh, Robert Ruston on Twitter, he just said, what do we do about Dizzy next season? He just replied, panic. (laughs) So a bit of a contrast of opinions (laughs) there. Um, I mean, Kutch, how do you see it going? Like if we don't go up, do you think we could persuade him to hang around for another year? Well, if we don't go up, it's an easy decision for Derby. You absolutely try and keep him for another year. Everything I've seen from Paul Warren suggests that he he loves him and likes uh, managing him and coaching him and working with him. And everything I can see from Ditsy is that he likes to be at Derby County. So I imagine it should be a kind of straightforward conversation. Obviously, he'd be in demand, I expect, from other League One clubs. I don't think he'd be in high demand from other championship clubs. I might be wrong about that if they look at how he's performed this season. But you do have to manage him for a season. So in the championship, he'd, he'd probably play fewer minutes. So he'd be much more of a, a squad player, maybe a, a someone who can make an impact in second half of games coming off the bench. So I imagine Derby would be in pole position to re-sign him if, if we were still in League One. Um, if we were fortunate enough to be in a championship, we're in a bit more of a uh, comfortable position to maybe take another look at that and think is, is a striker of his age what we need. I mean, I think he'd be a useful squad player in the championship. For Derby, if if he was comfortable there and he was he understood his role was to be more of a squad player, um, but if we're in League One, I, I would fully expect us to be able to you know want to put a new contract in front of him and hope that we could convince him to stay. Blake, anything to add? I think um, he's a local lad. I think the time of him signing that contract, just the one year, was a time where the manager wasn't necessarily on a permanent deal. We just had a new owner. He was finding his feet and figuring everything out at the club. He's obviously thirty five years old. So I think it just made sense for it to be a one-year contract. I think League One or Championship, you keep the core of of this team together next season. Even if he has, if he features less as he uh, as he has this year, I don't mind. I think League One or Championship. I think um, you reward this season. You give him an opportunity, one last dance in the Championship. If you if you want the ball to fall to someone in the Championship when you need goals next season, I think. Uh, David McGoldrick would be pretty high on on most people's lists to to stick it in the back of the net. I just can't believe that goals to minutes ratio is absolutely outrageous. Like 16 from 20 starts. Incredible. Um, Well, yeah, clearly we're going to need Didzy on top form. Uh, So yeah, wrap him in cotton wool, assuming we do manage to get into the playoffs and hopefully he can turn it on, uh, produce a bit of magic to help get us to Wembley. Because, um, I mean, I was looking at the numbers Boys, what, 64 points, I think we're on now, uh, 10 games to go. So it seems a good point to measure, you know, the run-in. I think it's 
fair to call it, we're just about at the start of the run-in almost. Um, so on previous seasons, it's tended to be like late eight, late 70s, early 80s for the playoffs to be sure of them. Definitely 80 or early 80s for, for top six, I'd say. So that means that Derby need about another uh, 15 to 18 points from 10 games to be sure of that, which works out at about maybe another four or five wins plus two or three draws. Um, yeah, so 10 games to go. We have still got to play. Burton at home, MK Dons at home, Fleetwood at home, and uh, Rock Bottom Forest Green away. So look, there's got to be at least three wins in there for us, you'd think, on current form. And there's also a handful of games in there against mid-table teams, Portsmouth at home, Exeter away, and Bristol Rovers away. And then uh, along with those very tough looking games away at Peterborough, home to Ipswich and away at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, Blake, I think we should still have enough to finish in the playoffs, shouldn't we? Should just about be doable, I reckon, at this point. Yeah, I think this is famous last words. So looking at it on paper and taking the, the Derby County hat off, I think it'd take a, a bad, a really bad run of results for us to not get there. I mean, you mentioned the teams we've got to play at home. The, the, those three home games, minimum of seven points. You'd be expecting nine points. Um, and then some of the away games. We've got the three tough games, obviously, Ipswich as well, Ipswich, Sheffield Wednesday and, and Peterborough. You're probably going to win one of them, take a win. And, so, yeah, I, I mean, I, this might come back to bite me and I don't like making predictions, but I'd be, I'd be very surprised and disappointed if we didn't have enough to get in the top six from where we are now. Yeah, I think I think you you really got to be expecting us to get in the top six now. We all said at the start of the season that we weren't necessarily expecting a top six finish, but at this point we've really got to be expecting it. It would take quite a quite a collapse, and and I also don't really see. I mean, Wickham aren't aren't too far off really. I guess if if they won their game in hand, they're four points behind us. But Wickham, Shrewsbury, and Peterborough are kind of they're, they're the chasing pack. I don't think it goes as far as Portsmouth and. And Wickham, Shrewsbury, and Peter—they're not on consistent runs. They don't look like putting together kind of a five, five, six, seven-game winning streak. Uh, the teams really informing the division: the Sheffield, Wednesday, Ipswich, and, and Barnsley, um, and they're all above us. So I'm not too concerned about what's be behind, below us, outside of the top six. Um, it would take a head of a collapse. I think it would take a really depressing uh, Derby County-style collapse for for it to go wrong and for us to drop out of the top six at this point in the season. Well, Blake, let's look at it this way. I know we I mentioned the uh, the fact that Derby under Warren have only beaten one team in the top half. I mean, how much does that concern you? Because I get the point that people always say that once you're in the playoffs, it's a bit of a reset. Uh, it's just whoever handles the occasion of the playoffs best. And I, I talked about Hull in the last episode, I think, and how they were rubbish against us and then beat us in the playoffs and got promotion by sort of game management and having big game players. Um, but yeah, the fact is we have got wallops by Barnsley a few weeks ago, lost to Wickham just below us, lost to Plymouth in the autos. Um, and I'm not, look, we're not flat track bullies. I think we are capable of of beating teams around us. We have beaten Bolton and Barnsley and Peterborough and Wickham. But I don't know, is, is it, in the back of your head, in the same way it is the back of mine. That stat is is new to me, and it's it's not it kind of surprised me. But 
I think the challenge now for me is getting in the getting in the top six and ideally getting a, a favourable tie. I mean, anywhere for me, but Plymouth would be ideal. But um, <laughs> it's 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 for me. I I really am, and I don't know if this is my blind faith. And he did another great interview. I don't know if you heard it, lads, on on BBC Radio Derby after the game. I, I mean, I, I just love the bloke. Um, that. I buy into him, and I said this. I think it was the first podcast um, I did with you um, that I really buy into to Paul Warren. I think the players really buy into Paul Warren, and I think he's he's switched on. He knows this league inside out. He knows the playoffs, and for me, the challenge is, is getting into the into the playoffs, securing that, and a, a big game at Pride Park in front of thirty three thousand in in the League One playoffs is a massive advantage for us. And I I think if we get in there, I really do. I think we'll be a, a tough fixture and I think we'll be one to avoid for, for anybody in this league. I really, really do think that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think obviously by favourable fixture, the way I'd interpret that, Blake, is a home, you know, finishing third or fourth. So you've got the second leg at home because I think that home advantage then really does play, play into your hands. We saw how he did it against Brighton all those years ago, just absolutely steamrolled them, having got a good result away in the first leg. So it's very it's too early to be talking about that kind of stuff. But Derby's priority should be getting into the playoffs, getting third or fourth, and getting there in with the squad in good shape, right? So that means managing people like David McGoldrick really carefully to, you know, ov- obviously get him on the pitch enough to get get us there, but also have him managed so he's he's you know he's fully fit and and got plenty in the tank to to really play well in the playoffs. The squad, you know, he Paul Warren mentioned it in that interview. Uh, but the squad is almost fully fit. You know, Knight and McGoldrick were out. Uh, Birds just come back. Um, but Knight and McGoldrick are expected to come back hopefully next weekend. So we've got a fully fit squad going into the running. It does, does does really feel like a run-in now. I think a couple of weeks ago, it felt like we're still in the middle of a season, but it really does feel like 10 games to go. Um, it feels like a proper run-in. You know, get ahead of steam up, win the next two games, and then go into the Ipswich game of confidence and, and see what happens from there. Because it'll be great to be able to turn over Ipswich at home, you know, bearing in mind they could be a, a potential playoff opponent. Yeah, well, it's going to be Fleetwood and then Ipswich. Uh, sorry, Fleetwood and then Peterborough in that huge game at London Road, and that's where we'll be in uh, in a couple of weeks. So we're going to sign off for now. Um, I think if we can get tickets, me and Kutch are going to be there. Blake, yeah. we'll be seeing you on that uh, on that pub that's on a boat. Have you frequented that one at Peterborough Way before? It's a great it's a great drinking spot. That. Well, everybody knows the best thing about Peterborough Way is the pub on the boat. It's it's the only reason to go. (laughs) Excellent. Just checking. I thought even even though you stopped drinking, I thought you'd even be across that as a uh, as a great pre-match venue. So, look, we will hopefully see you all there. Kutch, hopefully see you at London Road. Although we'll see we'll see you on our secret mission in a week before that. But um, should be a great away day at Peterborough, shouldn't it? Yeah, look, it's a new ground for me. I've not been. I know Tom's been. Have you been before, Chris, to London Road? Tom's been a couple of times. I have, yeah. Yeah, been a couple of times, yeah. Um, so uh... Tom was there for Will Hughes' debut, yeah. Um, but I've not been. So I have met the posh, uh, what's his name? The, the posh bloke who's the mascot. I have met him before. Um, but uh, yeah, looking forward to going to Peterborough. Uh, and another. And happy to get another away win under my belt this weekend. So on we go. On we go indeed. Keep the faith. We'll see you at Peterborough and uh, come on you rounds. Thanks for listening.